So I kind of have a reputation around here a little bit as um, kind of a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas. The only reason is I do hate Christmas music, caveat, prior to December 1st. How many think Christmas music should happen before December 1st? Start in April. Oh, Lord have mercy on you. Um, But, and I do, I actually don't want you to ever think I don't love Christmas, because obviously I follow Jesus. I love Christmas. I'm glad Jesus was born. It's some of the outer stuff that that works my nerves a little bit, because it's it's proof that it's not summer, too, and there's snow on the ground, and there's no baseball, so I get bummed out there, but we'll figure it out. Um, but I had this little epiphany this past week. Um, I was flipping through the, the channels, and one of the stations was, like, doing, just binging Christmas movies, and I was like, I could watch Christmas movies year-round. I could watch a Christmas movie in the summertime. And it's just the music thing I'm working on. So pray for me. I'll come around and I'll get this whole Christmas music thing down. But um, it made me think and look up the top five Christmas movies of all time. They go, go in this order. Not your order, but this was the order of some... Bo- <laughs> You're stealing my joke, man. Um, Number five was Christmas Vacation. Number four was It's a Wonderful Life. Number three, I know, it's only four, hello. Number three was um, A Christmas Story. And um, number two was Elf. And number one was Home Alone. Alone. (laughs) I am with you, Die Hard, right? It is a Christmas movie, just kidding. Um, And I was surprised as I read that, that, a Christmas Carol didn't make it. You know, one of the most famous, you know, Christmas novels ever is The Christmas Story. They did make a few movies. It didn't make even the top 25 that I saw. But it is a great story, right? And in A Christmas Story, there's the main character is Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And he's a cantankerous old man that is just a miser in every way. And he made famous the statement, bah humbug. And bah humbug, back in the day, was a way of just, bah humbug meant, you know, you know that one, we give it the raspberry, that means you disapprove of something, or you don't care. Bah humbug was a disapproval of somebody's joy, somebody's merriment. If somebody went to, to Scrooge and said, Merry Christmas, he'd go bah humbug, right? And he was ex- expressing his displeasure. Well, when you realize in the story, the reason he was such a bitter old man was he had bad experiences in his childhood, and it never got dealt with, and it led to him becoming bitter. And I pray for none of us in here that if we've had bad experiences in life, that it doesn't lead us to become bitter people. But through God's grace, we become better, right? And as I was praying about what to do for a Christmas series, I really felt like the Lord brought this to me, that for some people, in some way, the holidays are not the most wonderful time of the year. They're actually a time that grief is amplified, loneliness is amplified, you know, all all the disappointments can be amplified because of, of the holiday. We have, you know, 
broken relationship, broken situations, and it's, it's that trauma. But here's, here's what I, I think God wants to do, is to show us, if you're feeling a little bah humbug or the Christmas time gives you the blues a little bit, that really the heart of Christmas, the Lord Jesus is the answer to all of our hurts. He's the answer to all of our pain. He has healing in who he is. His very, very nature brings healing and turn our bah humbug to actual joy. So if you're in a tough time right now, you're in a tough season, maybe this has been a, a tough year and, and the, the thought of the holidays is stirring up some, some pain, or maybe you know someone who's in pain right now or going through some difficult time, I think these next three messages are going to minister to you and maybe give you something to even help minister to other people and, and pass it on. Um, the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the, Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And there are prophecies throughout the, the, the book of Isaiah about Jesus that were he fulfilled to a T. Amazing. One of them is found in Isaiah 61, and I'm going to read Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 to you. And this is about Jesus, a prophecy about his ministry and who he was. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In the Gospel of Luke... Chapter 4, um, Jesus is baptized, and then he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And after his temptation, he comes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's in synagogue one, one, at, one afternoon, and he is told to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads that very passage. And yet Jesus stopped when he, at, in, in, when he was reading, it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped there. But he said, this is the fulfillment. I am the fulfillment of what I just read. You're looking at the one who the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring healing. That's what they were talking about. And so I believe that the Lord wants us to experience that this season, not despair, but experience his joy. The, the day after Christmas is called Boxing Day in Canada and in Europe, I believe, as well. And, you know, not knowing all the history of Boxing Day, I think Americans, we've taken that as the day we go exchange something that didn't fit right or exchange this for that. It's kind of become our exchange day. And what I want to do in our time together this morning is give you four negative, um, four negative things that can be in our lives during this season or in any season and exchange them for four gifts from Jesus that he wants to give you. You ready for that? All right. The first one, you can write this down, is exchange your disappointments for his promises. 
Exchange your disappointments for his promises. When I was a little boy, um, uh, my mom had wrapped a bunch of the Christmas presents already. And under the tree was this perfectly round shape. And I grabbed it, and I knew for sure this was the basketball I had put on my Christmas wish list. Lo and behold, Christmas morning, I'm fired up, can't wait to use my new basketball. And I open it up, and it was a globe. (laughs) I was like, whoa, okay. I mean, I'm sure visibly my face was just like downcast. You know, I got a globe instead of a basketball. You can't dribble a globe, right? But... The reality of that is life brings disappointments, right? We all get disappointed. There's broken plans. You had a plan on how things were going to go with your life or a relationship or a situation or a job or school or whatever it was, and those plans got destroyed. Those plans got detoured, and you're disappointed. Maybe somebody's broken a promise to you, and it's disappointed you. Maybe you have a blocked goal. You want to do something in life that depends upon the cooperation of another and they're blocking your goal of what you want that, to perceive as joy and, and happiness in your life. People are going to disappoint us. You figured that out, right? Circumstances are going to disappoint us. But Jesus will never disappoint us. People change, circumstances change. But Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, he, he doesn't change. And he loves us with an unchangeable, perfect, unconditional love. As a matter of fact, it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. God has made some amazing promises that are fulfilled through Jesus, Right? How about the promise of eternal life, that though we die, we will live forever because of Jesus. He, who, for God so loved the world, Jesus said, that whoever would believe in, in, in Jesus would you know, not perish but have everlasting life. Eternal life has been promised to us, and Jesus is the one that initiated that for us by his death and resurrection. Um, Jesus promised that we could have his peace in the midst of chaos, that his peace wasn't, you know, determined by our circumstances. Uh, Jesus said that we could have his joy, that he gave us his joy. You know, God's the most joyful being ever. And he says we can have his joy, his peace, and we just need to tap into it and realize it by faith what we've been given. It's important that that we think about that on a daily basis or when we go through disappointments. When I was thinking about eternity, and how when I get disappointed in life, that I should measure my disappointment in, in this sense that does what I'm disappointed over have any eter- eternal impact? Because that kind of makes the disappointment not have so much sting to it. Because what we get disappointed in is things that happen to us in this life. Jesus also made another promise that on the front end, we're going, okay. <laughs> on the back end, you go, in a, in a better way. Jesus said that in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows and disappointments of many kind. That's the hard part. So that's a promise. Like we shouldn't be caught off guard when we go through difficult things. But he said, take courage. I've overcome the world. 
So we can have his peace, we can have his joy, we can know we have eternal life, and we can take courage in the midst of our difficulties. One of my favorite promises in, in all the Bible is Romans eight twenty eight, And it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. It's important that we break that scripture down real quick. Notice that he didn't say that we see that in all things, God works for good. He says, we know. To know is a faith thing. Because you and I, when we go through a disappointment, I don't know how God's going to work it for good, but I know he's going to. I don't see it sometimes. You might be in the middle of one of your biggest disappointments. If you will do things God's way, he will work that for your good and for his glory. And he says all things. Didn't say some things. That's important, right? He says everything in our life. That means things that happen to us, whether self-inflicted or somebody else or circumstances, he will work it all things for our good. And he says he works it for the good. He doesn't call evil good. He doesn't call things that bring pain in our life good. He will work it for good. That's very, very important to hold on to. So I would say as you're exchanging your disappointment for his promises, remember he knows the beginning from the end. He knows how your disappointment will be worked ultimately for your good and for his glory. All right, the second thing to exchange is exchange your distress for his provision. Exchange your distress for his provision. You and I, whatever, when we're stressed, we're usually stressed over a lack of something, a lack of time, a lack of energy, a lack of finances. And those things tend to stress us out and to bring stress in, in, in us. And stress causes a lack of peace. Stress always causes strife. How many of you are on your best behavior when you're stressed out? (laughs) Like you always apologizing when you're stressed out because you're quick-tempered, you're quick to lash out, you're quick to to say things you you regret. When you drive stressed, boy, look out for you, right? I mean, you're you're late for an appointment or whatever. Stress always brings out the worst in us. Most in this room are probably stressed about one of three things. You can write these down. You're stressed out financially, stressed out physically, and stressed out relationally. There's not enough finances, so it brings stress. Physically, no energy sometimes, just busy, 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 lack of energy. Or relationally, Something's not going right and you're stressed. It's, it's hard to trust God when you're stressed out. It really is. It's hard in, in that sense. But I've, I've held on to a promise that, that the Apostle Peter said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says in 2 Peter 1.3, this is a promise. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And that's a past tense promise. He didn't say he's going to give or he might give. He says he has given us through Jesus everything we need. Not everything we want, but he's given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us into his own glory and goodness. The Apostle Paul from prison wrote a letter to the the Philippian church. You caught that. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. 
And from a jail cell, he, he writes to them and he says, you know, I've learned the secret of contentment. He said, I, I've learned to be in, in plenty and in want. And that if I have what I, I think I need, I can be content. If I don't feel like I, I'm in some sort of lack, I can still be content. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a misquoted verse often. We use that, that to, to be our victory cry or something like that. That's not what that verse is about. It means that whatever situation you find yourself in, good, bad, indifferent, in plenty or in want, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're wondering what I'm pointing at. I'm pointing at the TV here. I'm seeing the scripture here too. Should be pointing that way. You're like, what's he pointing at, Darcy? Yeah. Um, but it's important that we understand that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's the most humble statement in my opinion because it's a statement of dependence. That if God calls you to do something, you can do it. Apart from him, you can do nothing, but you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Hold on to that today. So I would say this, in these three areas of finances, physical, being stressed out financially, physically, and relationally. First of all, if you're stressed out financially right now. This season has a way of amplifying it, right? If you're stressed out about finances today, trust God for your daily bread. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. When he taught us how to pray, he said, give us our daily bread. And what that prayer does is it centers us on today and helps us to not worry about tomorrow. How many times did Jesus say, don't worry about tomorrow? So I would say your stress about your finances or your lack in that area is you're going, what's tomorrow going to hold? What's a year going to hold? What's five years down the road going to look like? Jesus says, ask God for your daily bread and trust him for it. If you're stressed out physically, you know, maybe you're sick or your body's not working right or, or whatever you're experiencing, I would say trust him for healing. Trust him for healing inside out that he would heal you in every way. His provision is healing. That comes with Jesus. He is the healer. He's the great physician. And then if you're stressed out relationally, I would say this. Never forget that Jesus is the ultimate source to meet your deepest needs. Another human being cannot meet your deepest needs. And we all try to find our deepest needs of significance and security in people rather than God, and then we find ourselves heartbroken at times. And so today, trust his provision for you financially, physically, and relationally. The third thing to exchange is exchange your doubts for his peace. Exchange your doubts this season for his peace. I think there's a a right and a wrong way to doubt. And you might say to yourself, is it ever good to doubt? I don't know, but it's inevitable. It's an an inevitable Christian experience is to doubt um, because we don't know everything that God knows. We don't see the end to the beginning, but he does. And so doubt is is inevitable. And when you doubt, listen, you're in good company, right? Abraham walked with God and heard him speak to him, and he doubted God. Moses doubted God. Gideon doubted God. David doubted God. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner of the Lord, baptized Jesus, saw the Holy Spirit descend on him like a a dove, and had heard all that Jesus was doing, 
And yet when John, he was thrown in jail um, for political and religious reasons. And when he was in, in, in prison getting ready to get his head chopped off, literally, he uh, sent some of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you really the one? Think about that. If John the Baptist doubted, we think we're never going to have any doubts? Come on. We don't know everything. The disciples doubted Jesus. They blow me away. And I, you know, like if you, when you read it, that's why I know the Bible is legit. Because if you wanted to, to make up some story, you don't include all these doubts and things and, and mess-ups that you see and all these messy people in the Bible. That makes me trust it even more. But the disciples walked with Jesus. They saw him do miracles. They, they, they saw him die on a cross and then later saw him r- r- risen from the grave. They saw him ascend to the Father, back to heaven. And at the end of the, the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, after they had been with the risen Lord Jesus, saw him ascend through the clouds back to heaven, says they worshiped him and some doubted. What, what do you mean, you know, they doubted? Now, obviously, the disciples grew in their faith after the resurrection, and God went on to use them in amazing, amazing ways, but they doubted. I'm learning in my thick head, you know, sometimes that I don't have to have it all figured out to follow Jesus. And I think sometimes people think that you have to have no doubts or, or have it all figured out in order to follow Jesus. But Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing, you know, if you don't believe in me, put into practice my teachings and then you'll, you'll know that I'm, I'm, I'm legit. I, I'm, I'm the real deal. And so following Jesus, you know, don't, don't let your doubts derail you. Follow Jesus with your doubts. Jesus said this in John 14, 27. I alluded to this earlier. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I think it's important that we remember worry and doubt are basically the same thing. Worry and doubt are at minimal siblings, right? Brother and sister, or sister and sister, or brother and brother. I worry because I doubt. I doubt because I worry. I mean, they really go hand in hand. And so those that are prone to to worry, keep that in mind. Like, you don't want to doubt God. None of us want to doubt God. But when we don't see him working in our lives the way we think he's supposed to work, we doubt. When it doesn't, prayers aren't answered instantly, it's easy to doubt. It's easy to worry. When we see all these promises in the Bible about how he's going to take care of us, we still wonder, How's he going to take care of us? I want to get to that place where I say, I don't know how he's going to take care of it, but he's going to take care of it. That's, that's the posture to be in before our, our father. My brother Mike um, told me a story a long time ago. Uh, he used to drive courier service, and he loved to, to take that drive on Highway 36 going west into Boulder. You get to kind of like the the pinnacle of, of the highway there, and then you can see the flat irons, and you can see, you know, Boulder, and he's kind of a tree-hugger, nature-loving kind of person, and so that was like, that made his day on that drive. He said one particular day he was driving, and as he got to the ridge, excited to see the flat irons and to see Boulder, there was a big fog and clouds, and he couldn't see anything. 
And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, are the flat irons still there? Is Boulder still there? Of course they're still there because you've seen it before. You've, you've, seen, you, you've seen it. And so when you don't see me working in your life the way you think I should or things aren't going the way you, you thought they should go, am I still at work? Am I still there? And his answer was, of course you are. I drew, I drew faith from his, his story because we have to take hold of that, that God may not be answering your prayers the way you wish he would. That doesn't not make him God or not love you. He knows the beginning from the end, and he loves you perfectly. He loves you passionately, and he has your best interest at heart at all times, even when you don't see it. And when you're in pain, you may think, well, why, it, why did God let this happen? Why did God do this? God gets blamed for a lot of things he has that people do to us, right? Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows. Don't let that derail you when you have trials and sorrows. Go to the one that has healing in his wings. And the key to, to, to this, to me, in exchanging our doubts for his peace, the more you know the word of God and what God's promised, the more peace you're going to have in your life. The less doubts will derail your faith. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God is reliable. It's our guide. It leads us to Jesus. It leads us to know him, and it leads, causes us to have faith and to have hope. So today, if you're lacking peace, read his word. Know what he has to say. He's made some amazing promises to us. All right, the last thing to exchange, you're in a bah humbug kind of season this year at any point, is exchange your depression for his presence and power. Exchange your depression for his presence and power. We all go through times of depression, right? And some go through it even worse and experience it kind of as a lifelong journey. Some people are more prone to depression. I don't understand all that. I'm not a doctor or a therapist, but it's, I think it's just a reality we have to be in. One thing that I have found super helpful, if you're in a, in a depressed state, a depressed season, or you know somebody that is, the most important thing when you feel that blah of depression, that despair, kind of hopelessness feeling that comes over people, is find the source. Find the source. What is, what is you know, depression is, is not a sin, it's a symptom. We've turned it into some sort of sin. It's not a sin, it's a symptom. Just like a headache. You don't have a headache. There's a reason you have a headache. You might be dehydrated. You might have a fever, whatever. So same with depression. You're not just depressed. There's a reason. So what is the source? What is the reason behind somebody? I found three things to be very helpful. One source could be circumstances. Circumstantial depression. Um, you lost a loved one. You lost a job, a broken relationship, something like that. That's, you, can, you can know that you're depressed because circumstances have not been good. They've been difficult for you. So if you're feeling that, is it circumstantial? That usually is the easiest one to kind of figure out like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm sad my mom died or I'm sad that I lost my job or whatever. The second one source to look for is spiritual. Is it a spiritual depression? We have a real enemy in the devil. 
And he comes to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. He comes to, wants to take your joy. He wants to try to take your peace that is yours given to you by Jesus. And that's, that's his role is to deceive us. Hear those, you're worthless, you know, nobody loves you, you're, you're not lovable, you're broken, you're unrepairable, give up. Oh, you're such a, thought you were a real Christian, why did you do that? Why did you say, I mean, when you hear condemning voices, that's the devil. Jesus doesn't talk to us that way. Always remember to separate that. But spiritually also, we might not be believing who we are in Christ. When we're depressed, I'm not focusing on the love of God. I'm not focusing on who he is and who he says I am in Christ. And then the third one, possibility as a source of depression, is physical, physiological. Um, And usually all three work together. They really do. But the physiological part of depression is your brain is a fallen organ, just like your kidneys can malfunction or any organ in your body can malfunction, so can the brain. And we need to not shame people who need to take medicine for, uh, for depression or something like that. We tend to be too spiritual. And uh, my, my point in this is if something helps somebody function, it helps them serve Christ better, it's a good and perfect gift from the Father above, right? I take an Advil when I have a headache, right? You know, or you take whatever the doctor prescribes. And I get it. I'm not a therapist nor a psychologist or any of that. Don't hear that. But if you're depressed and it's not circumstantial and you don't think it's spiritual, go to the doctor. Who knows? I mean, it's, you gotta, it's one of those three sources in our lives. Here's the good news. Jesus gives an amazing invitation in Matthew chapter 11. If you're depressed, discouraged today, he says this to you, to all of us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. We got some weary and burdened folk in this room. And his invitation is come to him. He says, and I will give you rest. What a promise. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow. The king of the universe humbled himself, became one of us, and uttered these amazing words, come to me, I'll give you rest. Do you want rest today from whatever it is in this season? Well, Rest comes from knowing his presence because in his presence is power. When you acknowledge his presence, when you're acknowledging that the king of the universe, the creator of the universe dwells with you, he says, I'll give you rest. No one else can give you rest but Jesus. Take those burdens to him. And we're talking about in his presence is power. He has no rival. He has no equal. Nobody compares to him. So when we're in his presence, we are in his power. So spend time with Jesus. Spend time reading the gospels, the Psalms, and get to know him and get to know what he's said about us. Read the scriptures to, to, to have that, that pre- his presence and power. And as you do, your faith grows. He says, take my yoke upon you. To be yoked with Jesus is two ox. Two oxen would plow a field yoked together. He, and it was, so the picture Jesus is saying is walk close to me. Be with me. 
be yoked with me. Psalm 42, verse 11, David says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Now he's preaching to himself, right? He's like, why are you so downcast, dummy? Put your hope in God. You know, he's, he's, I talk to myself like that often. I don't know about you, but I give myself some tough love sometimes. But David, we need to learn how to not listen to all the other voices around us and preach to ourselves. Why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. Because often de- our depression and discouragement comes that we've misplaced our hope off of the one who really gives us hope and we put it in something or someone else. Nobody in this world can be your hope, no thing. Only, the only thing we can put our hope in is something that can't be taken away, and that's Jesus. Everything else in our life will be, eventually be taken away from us. We can't put our hope in people and stuff. It has to be in the one who can't be taken from us. So we're going to move into communion. And I can think of no better way to start a Christmas series than by taking communion. Because Jesus' point in coming into this world wasn't to stay a baby. but He grew up to be a man to teach us what life was about, what God was like, but to give his life on the cross for us. And he told his disciples to take the bread and take the cup and do it in remembrance of him as a reminder. And I think taking, you know, communion doesn't just have to be at church. You can do it as a family or as a couple or as friends, as a home group. Because every time we take the bread and the cup, we're reminding ourselves of of the amazing love that we have in the person of Jesus. So um, if you're a guest with us, when it comes to taking communion, we, we let parents decide when their kids are old enough to understand what they're doing. So it's between you and your kids. But there's two tables up here. Come and, and grab a piece of bread, grab the juice, take it back to your seat, and we're going to sing a song together. And at the end of that song, we're going to take the communion elements together. When we take communion, we are, we're going back to the beginning of, of what Jesus told his disciples. Uh, the church didn't invent this, a denomination or a movement. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper when he took bread with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed and he broke it. He lifted it to heaven and he gave thanks to the Father. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember my body. It's going to be broken and bruised for you. Let's take and eat. After supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and again he lifted it to heaven, gave thanks, and blessed it. And he told his disciples, he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. That the, the, the old way of trying to relate to God or find forgiveness and all of that was being done away with. No more animal sacrifices or anything needed. He was the sacrifice 
to end all sacrifices. It's the new covenant that's in his blood that was shed for us to give us life, hope, forgiveness, to remove condemnation, to remove shame so that we could freely enjoy eternal life with him. Let's take it together. Would you just put your hands out in front of you? I want to ask God to bless you. Lord, as we extend our hands out, we, we do it in a posture of faith, a posture of hope, and a posture of receiving. Receiving your gifts, Lord, of, of, of your promises, your peace, your, your provision, your power, and your presence with us, Lord. We receive the most important gifts ever through you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're humbled, we're grateful for you and what you've done for us. Lord, may the joy of the Lord be upon us, your people. May we walk in grace. May we walk as you walk, Lord. Lord, for those that are hurting this time of year, this season, God, just comfort, give joy, and a fresh outlook, a fresh perspective on their lives and situations. Because of you, Lord, we have everything and we say thanks together. In Jesus' name, amen.